Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Good afternoon and welcome to eBible Fellowship Sunday Afternoon Bible Study in the book of Daniel. Today is study number 7 of Daniel chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading in Daniel 1, verse 5. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And I'll stop reading there. In our last study, we were looking at verse 5, where the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank. And we saw that the word provision is a word that means word. He appointed them a daily word. And we spent some time discussing how Satan has long desired to be like God, and he is acting the role of God, as we know the Lord Jesus provides our daily bread. And and that's the idea here. Uh, he is targeting God's elect people who do service to God. They are the ones that came out of Judah historically, and God would say they were the good figs, the good fruit that typify the elect. Spiritually, they're pointing to those that come out of the churches and congregations or left their church and left their their congregation and went out into the world as the world is typified by Babylon. And yet Satan continues pursuit of them because he rules over the world in a special way that God gave him during this time of great tribulation, because that's what Daniel 1 is focused on, the 23-year period of the great tribulation that comes at the time of the end of the world. And therefore, he appoints this daily word. And uh, historically, it was meat and it was wine that he appointed. And that's why the translators translate it as provision. Yes, historically, it was various kinds of meat that many of which probably were not on the Jewish diet because God had given laws in Leviticus that Jews were to eat certain kind of clean animals and not eat unclean animals. And God had also given laws against drinking wine and strong drink. But 
the kingdom of Satan or the world does not care normally or concern itself with the laws of God. It wants to lay down its own laws. Satan wants to be the lawgiver because he wants to be like God. That's why today when when people have jobs and they want them to work on Sunday. And, and so there is a good example of influence of the world doctrinally against the child of God who's living out in the world because God says Sunday is my Sabbath day, but the world is changing. The world is losing sight. Well, well, actually, no, has lost sight. It's done concerning God's Sabbath day, and it does not enter into their thinking or consideration when they're making the work schedule in practically all places today. And so they just lay down the schedule, and it's for all workers. And and that's the idea that, that Daniel and his friends are facing here, as the king has determined their meat and the wine which they drink, and it is for them to drink. And, you know, it was a dangerous time, a dangerous situation already for these four young men. And we we should recognize that this is not a small matter when Daniel purposes in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat or with the wine. It, it, you know, that that's what Satan would have the child of God to believe, that, that this is a small thing. It, it's only a cup of wine and, and it's a plate of food. Just, just uh, eat your food and, and drink the wine as the king would have you to do. Do not make this an issue. I understand you're a Jew. I understand you have different beliefs. And and so wait till it's a big issue. Wait until the difference is um, greater and more important. And and then take your stand when when it's something... Uh, really significant and, and worth fighting for. But, but don't battle over these little points, these little points of doctrine. And, well, you see, uh, what, what's a little point of doctrine? Well, if we go back to the analogy of the world and, and again, through underlying influence that's out there in the world, in society today, they are putting this pressure to bear for the child of God to work on Sunday. Is it a little thing? It's only God's holy day. Just, you you could say that about every doctrine of the Bible. It's only a little thing. Well, God is concerned with little things. Because if we're faithful in little, we'll be faithful in much. And Conversely, if we're not faithful in little, we will not be faithful in much. That uh, waiting to take a stand for a major point of doctrine 
never arrives. It never comes because we are giving in. We, we are conforming to the ways of the world on this point. And then if the world wants to raise that bar to another level, then we'll give in on that point also because there is something wrong, something wrong. And Daniel and his friends realize this. They are living in Babylon. They are not living in Judah anymore. They are in hostile territory, and they are living under an evil king in a place that has no concern for them or for their beliefs or for their God. And and so right away, right away at the very beginning, at the first point of trial, the, the first point that's contested, Daniel purposes and his friends purpose in their heart they will not defile themselves. The same stand, as a matter of fact, that later on that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego make when the king wants them to bow down to the golden image. Now, if these young men here in in Daniel 1, regarding this seemingly minor thing, of the king wanting them to eat his food, if these young men had given in here at this point, do you think that they would have stood faithfully later and faced a burning, fiery furnace on that greater point of idolatry and bowing down to a uh, an image that the evil king Nebuchadnezzar had set up? No, they would not have. But you see, that's that's the fallacy. That's the lie that people tell themselves. Well, I'll I'll give in on the food, and then later, when that major um, temptation arrives, that major test, like the golden image, I'll take my stand. And and where was everyone else but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Uh, Daniel must have been out of town. We know Daniel wouldn't have done it. But where was everyone else? And there would have been Jews amongst all the other people that were in the city Babylon when that golden image was unveiled and the command given to bow the knee. Bow the knee or die. Well, they were there. They were there, but they had been trained. They had been trained. That's the point of the the king nourishing them for three years with his own wine and his own meat to train these young men in order to stand before the king so they could be trained in the way of Babylon, the way of the world. And you see, if you train these children early, just as um, the Bible tells parents, train the child in the way he will go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Well, it's the same idea when you are transforming a people that 
have previously served God and, and you are changing them to serve you as, as Satan has done during the time of the great tribulation in the church and outside of the church in the world. He is attempting to usurp God to be the one worship, the one obeyed in matters of doctrine. In matters of doctrine. Now, we mentioned this last time, but the word meat, the word meat points to doctrine in the Bible. In, in Hebrews 13, it says in verse 9, Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them, that have been occupied therein. And you can see, if you look carefully at Hebrews 13, verse 9, where God makes the identification with doctrine and meat. Also, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 1, at the end of the verse, it speaks of doctrines of devils. In 1 Timothy 4, 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. That is, meats are um, every creature of God received with thanksgiving, and every creature of God is good, nothing to be refused. Remember what Peter said when he was shown the vision of unclean animals and, and commanded Rise, Peter, slay and eat. Not so, Lord. And then God said, What I have cleansed, call not thou common. That is, you're not to refuse this meat. You're not to refuse the meat. And the refusal of the meat was actually a refusal of the doctrine. The acceptance of the meat, and and Peter did accept it, and after the vision was completed, an embassage came from Cornelius's house, a Roman, uh, to come fetch Peter, to bring him back to the house. And then the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius and others at his house, the Gentiles. That was the point of the change in meat. And it's a doctrinal point. It's a doctrinal change, a a big doctrinal change from the Old Testament to the New Testament because now the word of God would not be confined to Israel and, and God's people confined to Israel and those that would, would, uh, join Israel. But now the, the gospel go into all the world to all nations or Gentiles and they would become fellow heirs along with the Jews. God 
is not a respecter of persons, is the point of the change in meats. But again, uh, the doctrine of devils would be to abstain from meats, to abstain from doctrine that God has created and ought to be received with thanksgiving and acceptance. It's nothing to be refused. And, uh, you know, we we uh, are aware that God has brought forth uh, much change in doctrine at the time of the end, the end of the church age and and um, Christ slain from the foundation of the world, the doctrine of hell, and it's not to be refused. It, it is to be received with thanksgiving because it's sanctified by the word of God. It is approved by the word of God. And if God has done that, brought forth information to show us the, the true and right doctrine that's always been there, then we are not to fight against it. And that's the error that many fall into whenever God makes a change in doctrine. Well, meat relates to doctrine and wine. We saw um, last time we uh, went to Isaiah 28 where they err through wine and strong drink. And and again, that relates to um, doctrinal misunderstanding, doctrinal error. It also says in Deuteronomy chapter 32 concerning wine, in Deuteronomy 32, beginning in verse 31, For their rock is not as our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine is the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of afs. And that's the, the wine of Babylon, the wine of King Nebuchadnezzar. It, it is not the wine of God. It is the teaching, the the way of the world, the doctrine of the world, or the doctrine of the kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of Satan. And we should not be fooled on this point. We, we don't normally think of the world as having doctrine, but the world has much doctrine, just, just as churches have doctrine. For instance, it's a doctrine of the world regarding evolution. We won't get into that ridiculous theory, but the world uh, upholds that teaching that this is how everything began and, and how things came to be through evolution. It's a lie, it's false, and again, ridiculous, yet it's a doctrine of the world. And and so, the world accepts it, the believers, we accept what the Bible says, that God created the world. The two are opposed to one another. There's contention between the two ideas, and some who are Christian or profess Christian, they attempt to reconcile 
these two ideas with theistic evolution. Yes, there's a God he created, but then there were these long eons of time in which things evolved. So they, they try to appease both. But, but no, no, uh, uh, God is clear how, uh, the world began and the Bible is also clear that the world is, uh, over 13,000 years old. Well, in Jeremiah 51, concerning the wine of the king of Babylon, it says in verse 7, Babylon hath been a golden cup in Jehovah's hand that made all the earth drunken. The nations have drunken of her wine, therefore the nations are mad. This is the wine of the king, of the king of Babylon, that he is giving through the prince of the eunuchs to Daniel and his three friends. It is the wine that all the nations have drank, and he wants these uh, young Jews to drink of it as well. In Revelation chapter 17, it says in verse 4, And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And their God is telling us what is in the cup. What is in the cup, the golden cup, the wine of Babylon, is full of abominations and filthiness of her fornications. And that is transgressing God's holy day is in the cup. Divorce is in the cup. And evolution is in the cup. And, and all the other lies, all the other deceitful things that you can think of is in the cup. It is everything untrue and unholy and unjust and unrighteous and, and so forth. It, it is the things we see all around us in the world that, that is in the cup. You know, the Bible says, God says to young men, it is better not to touch a woman. That's what the Bible says. And and so, if a young man and a young woman get together, they should have conversation. And, and they should not be uh, physically touching one another. And what does the world say? Well, uh, everything goes. Everything goes. You, you can live together or, or um, have sexual relations outside of marriage and, and, and so forth. That's in the cup of Babylon, the cup that all the nations are drinking. And it's being presented to the people of God who have come out of the church. And in coming out of the church... They have 
lost their place of worship, the house of God. It, it is no more. Yes, they still have God, and they still have the Bible. But to a large degree, they have been isolated from fellowship with other um, like-minded Christians and and uh, now they're they're more and more alone with God, true, but also the world is all around them. The world encircles them and and all the things of the world are ever present wherever they go. There is no place of escape uh, as the church used to be. And, and, I mean, just think, the, the loss of the church was really a, a, a real loss. Because every Sunday, every Sunday, people could go and meet 50, 100, 150 other people, however many, and they could have their Bibles on their person, that alone is a comforting thing to walk into a place carrying a Bible and other people have their Bibles and you you sing hymns and, and pray and hear the, the Bible taught and and there is reinforcement of the message of God and and there is an encouragement in those activities, of course, please don't get the idea that I think anybody should go back to church. Oh, far be it. God has commanded. The church age is over. And, you know, you do not go back to the house is the command of Matthew 24. And in Luke, God says anyone putting his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Remember Lot's wife. She looked back. We never look back. But that doesn't mean it's not a truth that there were certain um, benefits and blessings and encouragements in being part of a congregation in an evil world. It was a place that was similar to a refuge. You you could go and temporarily you could find just some solace and comfort through the scriptures in this place and you knew there were many other places all around the the world. There there were churches all over the earth. This is during the church age. But now the people of God have no such place to go to. And this is Satan's, um, it, it, during the Great Tribulation, when God's elect were coming out, it, he attempts to use the fact that they have now left the church and left the congregation to use this coming out into the world as a way of pushing his own agenda, and again, very much underneath everything, not um, overtly, not uh, not so that uh, it's obvious, but but as the world is changing, uh, he is attempting to change the children of God, the elect, 
to get them to drink of his cup. It, it says in Revelation chapter 18, in verse 2, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are wax rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So we we can see why it is that the king of Babylon is pressuring these young men to eat his meat and to drink his wine, which he drank. It's that golden cup that is full of abomination and fornication, and he is trying to get these young men to serve him. All right, well, let's move on in Daniel 1 and... Look at verse 6, and Daniel 1, verse 6, says, Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And we're, we're going to take a look at the names of these four young men. And again, there's four. There's not eight, there's not two. But God will tell us about four young men throughout the historical narrative portion of the book of Daniel. And the historical narrative portion goes for six chapters. If you look at it, just uh, look at Daniel 2 and 3 and 4 and chapter 5 and 6 when Daniel's in the lion's den. And then the historical narrative ceases. In Daniel 7, we have a vision. Daniel 8, a vision. And in Daniel 9, there is... Daniel making prayer, but pretty much it's um, more revelation. The last part of Daniel uh, gives the 70 weeks of Daniel 9. And, and chapter 10, 11, and 12 is the visions, the dreams, the revelation. But the first six chapters lay out the history of these four young men in Babylon. And the four are representing all of God's elect that have gone out into the world. As four points to universality. And in a very definite way, these four young men relate to Revelation 9. We, we read of four angels in Revelation 9:16, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates, and the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of the men. Four angels are bound in Babylon, and then four angels are loosed, and uh, that loosing relates to May 21, 2011, when God set free um, through the completion of his salvation program and through the final judgment of Satan and his kingdom, 
which completed as far as the spiritual judgment, and now we're in a prolonged day of judgment, on May 21, 2011. And then the four angels or messengers who were bound in Babylon were loosed. And here we have four young men, Daniel and his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And where are they? They're in Babylon. Are they free men in Babylon? No, they're bound in Babylon. We have four young men bound in Babylon. And so the four angels that are bound in the great river Euphrates, and Euphrates is the river of Babylon. So they were bound, the four angels were bound in Babylon and then loosed. And we know later that the Israelites will be loosed out of Babylon. And, uh, well, uh, anyway, that's that's the picture that the four young men are four messengers of God that have been bound in Babylon. This is God's purpose for them during the time of the Great Tribulation period. Up until the end of the Great Tribulation, they are to live their lives bound in Babylon. And and what we read of these four will be true spiritually of all of God's elect people. Their names. Now, uh, we'll, we'll just take a quick look, um, well, relatively quick, at each of their names. Daniel is a name that means... Um, it, and, and all the names are compound words. They're, they're two words put together. Dan means judge or judgment. And L is the name for God. It's Strong's number 410. So Dan L, Daniel, is, um, we, we could understand it, judge of God or judgment of God. And considering the um, source or or the information found in the book of Daniel, judgment of God fits very well. The book of Daniel is about God's judgment on his own people and God's judgment on the world, on Babylon. Finally, uh, when when Cyrus takes the kingdom, and and so Daniel's name is perfectly matched with the information that we find within the book of Daniel, judgment of God. Now, the second young man was Hananiah, and Hananiah is 2608 in the concordance in the Hebrew, and again, a compound word, and Hananiah, Yah is, you can hear it as part of the name, and Yah means the Lord. It it means the Lord. Hanan, the first part, is 2603 in the concordance, and you can look that up. Hanan means favored, gracious, or merciful. It's found in Isaiah 30 and verses 18 and 19. And therefore will Jehovah wait that he may be gracious unto you, And therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For Jehovah is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. 
for the people shall dwell in Zion and Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. The, the word gracious is this word. This is the word that's in Psalm 51 when David is moved to exclaim, Have mercy upon me, O God. It's the word mercy. And it's the word translated favored. And and therefore, Hananiah is a name that means um, mercy of God or, or grace of God or favored of God. Or we could say it another way, the Lord has favored or the Lord has grace or the Lord has mercy. And so obviously it's a name that uh, is an excellent name for one of God's own elect people because it is God's elect that the Lord has bestowed his grace and granted his mercy and given his favor. And and so um, Hananiah, along with Daniel, judgment of God, are uh, two names that relate... And, and actually declare aspects of the gospel. They, they teach things that, that the Word of God, the Bible teaches. And, okay, let, let's go on to Mishael. Mishael is similar to the name Michael. And Michael is a name that means who is like God or who is God. And, and that's again similar. Mishael could be who is God or who is after God, something like that, but it, it is directing us to the person of God. Who is God? And then the fourth name is Azariah, Azariah, and Mishael, just like Daniel has the name God in it. And Azariah, like Hananiah, has the name of God, Yah. And that means the Lord. It is combined with the word for help. Help is 5826 and, and Yah is 3050 in the concordance. And together they're the compound word that forms Azariah. And Azariah then would mean Yah will help or, or, or God or the Lord will help. And we see this in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 41, in verse 10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And in verse 13, For I, Jehovah thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith Jehovah, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Well, the word help is the word that is part of um, Azariah's name. God will help help. 
and we wonder uh, we we wonder as we see these uh young Jews and and I'm sure they must have been wondering will God help it it, it seemed that things were just getting uh worse and worse for the Jewish people for the people of God where was God when Jerusalem is being destroyed and the people of Jerusalem, the Jews, are being carried away. Many were killed and taken captive into the land of Babylon and come under the power of the enemy. And the enemy is determining their, their food and their drink, their meat and their wine. And, and this is how they must live. And surely it was a distressing time and, and they must have wondered when will God help? Well, God will show that he is a God of help for his people. And these same young men in just a little while will be confronted with the burning fiery furnace and, and God demonstrates he proves his help for them as he protects them in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. But, of course, um, at this point, that has not yet happened. And this is sort of orientation day to Babylon. They are being brought into the system of the world, the system of the evil king and here is your food, here is your drink, and, uh, uh, and you, you have to get acclimated, you have to get accustomed to our system and do things our way. And that is, uh, you know, expected. It, it, they, they were the victorious nation. But what the world does not understand is that God's people cannot do it their way when it comes to certain things. Yes, we'll, we'll do it, we'll go along and we'll fit in and we'll try to, um, exist in the world, living in the world and, and doing as the world would have us to do for as much as we can do it. But uh, eventually it never fails that, that we're brought to a point where the world expects us to continue uh, to conform to them, to go along and and to sort of give in to their way, and the child of God cannot do it. The, the child of God just cannot do it. It's not that we wouldn't want to do it, But the Spirit of God within us will not permit the child of God to do so. And no matter what the consequence, the true believer will seek to do things God's way. Well, all right, let's move on to verse 7 of Daniel 1. Unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar and to Hananiah, of Shadrach, and to Mishael, of Meshach, and to Azariah, of Abednego. And and here we uh, are not surprised 
Yet, um, it, it just goes to show just how bad things had gotten. How far, um, the, the Jewish nation had, had fallen and how much they had lost. And, and now they, the king of Babylon, uh, I'm sure the prince of the eunuchs was operating under instructions. The king of Babylon was even attempting to take their names away. As a matter of fact, as far as Babylon was concerned, their names were taken away. They, they had taken away their nation. They had taken away, um, everything from the land of Judah and they had placed them in the city Babylon and they had taken away their food and their drink and now they wanted to take away their name. Their name. We just looked at their names. And we saw that each one of the names of these Israelites had purpose. It had meaning. It had identification with God. Each one of them. Daniel, judgment of God. Hananiah, favored of the Lord. Mishael, who is after God. Azariah. Yah will help. The Lord will help. And, and, alright, now, now, give me your name. They're stripped of their names. And these will be your names. Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we wonder, uh, why? What, what's the point of this? Why take their names and give them new names? Well, uh, it goes along with taking away their identity as Jews, yes, and and also to take away their identification with the God of the Jews. It, it says in Numbers chapter 6, and in verse 27, the last verse, And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. See, the, the uh, Israelites carried the name of God. We saw that. In each of their names, there was El or Yah. They, they carried God's name. In Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 9 and 10, Jehovah shall establish thee a holy people unto himself, as he has sworn unto thee, if thou shalt keep the commandments of Jehovah thy God, and walk in his ways. And all people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of Jehovah, and they shall be afraid of thee. Called by Jehovah's name, and they will be afraid. Well, the Babylonians were taken away the name of Jehovah, the name of the God of the Jews. In Isaiah 43... And in verse 1 it says, But now, thus saith Jehovah that created thee, O Jacob, he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. And that goes to the heart of the issue, that God has called them by name, and they are his. 
Well, the king of Babylon is going to change their name and in doing so make them his own. He, he is going to make them, um, belong to the king of Babylon and, and to the Babylonian gods. He's going to, uh, bring them under the rule of Babylon and, and service to his God. That's his goal. Uh, he, he wants no remembrance of this name of God. It says in Psalm 44 and verse 20, if we have forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, and, and you see, take away their name. It, it, it's all uh, contributing with the goal from the kingdom of Babylon's point of view to cause these Jews to forget who they are, who they belong to, whose name they bear. They are to forget the Lord. And how can they forget the Lord if if their very name is a reminder? So let's remove the name and we'll give them a new name. And it and concerning that new name, it says in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 8, But at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and before him I told the dream. Here is Belteshazzar, who was given a name according or according to the name of my God. The name Belteshazzar is a name after the Babylonian gods. It's a name, therefore, that would identify with Satan, because there is no other god but God, and it would identify with the way of the world. And And we can be sure so would the other names. We don't have to know the meaning of Belteshazzar and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and and we don't. The Bible doesn't reveal the meaning of these names like it it did the names of their their original Jewish names, but we know the meaning is that they are names given after the God of Babylon. And and that relates to what God says in Micah chapter four in verse 5, for all people will walk everyone in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of Jehovah our God forever and ever. And we're living in that time when all people walk in the name of their God. The Babylonians took the names of these four young men their, their Jewish names, the name of their God, and they substituted names for Babylonian gods, names, um, that they approved of, and, and yet, um, they, they kept the real significance of those names. They, they did not change within. And even though they were called by these other names, these young men, kept the meaning 
of the name that God had given to them. It also says in Revelation chapter 13, and and here we'll see the um, actual spiritual reason behind this giving of the name of the God of Babylon. In Revelation 13, beginning in verse 15, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that hath the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. The name of the beast. And and the beast is Satan. And Satan is typified by the king of Babylon. The, the name of um, the beast would relate to the name of a false god of Babylon. The four young men were given names that would be in accord with the name of the beast. With, with the name of Satan during this time of great tribulation. And, and, and yet God's people were in the world. Yes, we've come out of the church at the commandment of God. It wasn't our own choosing. It wasn't our will. But according to the timeline of history, according to God's will for his people, we left the churches and congregations and we've gone out into the world. And while in the world, we continue to serve God by God's grace. And through his spirit, he will maintain and keep his people from defiling themselves as Daniel and his friends will be kept from eating the king's meat and drinking the wine. And even though we are uh, people of the world, because we're no longer part of the church, yet this is where God would have us to be, and it is here we must serve God. It is here the people of God did service throughout the Great Tribulation and continue to do service, in the days after the tribulation, in Judgment Day, and throughout we're being tried and and severely tested, and it's always again on this point, always concerning um, being pressured to cease worshiping Jehovah, to cease serving the Lord, to to conform to. Babylon to the world and to the ways of the world. And again, by God's grace, the people of God, um, although suffering many trials and, and tribulations and difficulties, do not conform, but they continue to serve God faithfully by the grace of God. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.